0: If you're looking for premium quality vitamins and natural supplements, New Roots Herbal has you covered. Proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 30 years, their dedication to quality and testing truly sets them apart. Each ingredient is rigorously tested by their ISO-accredited lab from raw materials to final products. So you get exactly what is promised on the label. Effective, pure ingredients, safe from heavy metals, pesticides, and toxic chemical solvents. Guaranteed. New Roots Herbal products are available exclusively at health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit newrootsherbal.com. U.S. residents can now find New Roots Herbal products on amazon.com. Naturally Savvy Podcast is sponsored by Morpheus for Menopause. Back in 1998, I was having a health issue and I made an appointment with a doctor, Dr. Eisendorf. This was in Santa Cruz, California. And I was so impressed and taken aback when I went into his office and he started asking me about my mental health, my emotional health. What's your job like? What are your relationships like? And I thought, this is amazing. I've never experienced something like this before. And I realized that this, uh, you know, allopathically trained doctor had a background in what I know now is functional medicine. And it was, it was so incredible to be able to look at all the factors and the things that were going on in my life. And so I have been a fan ever since, and I am a huge fan of our guest today, the fantastic Dr. Peter Kozlowski, his book Unfunk your gut, a functional medicine guide, boost your immune system, heal your gut and unlock your mental, emotional and spiritual health joins us now. Hello, Dr. Kozlowski. Thank
1: you so much. It's an honor to be here. I was laughing while you were telling your story that you were excited that your doctor asked you about your mental health because most of my patients tell me to F off usually. And uh, they're like, just find me the right supplements, find me the right test. Uh, Mental health is definitely not contributing to this. So please don't talk anymore about that. So I'm glad you were receptive to that.
0: Oh, definitely. Well, I love in your book, in the introduction, you write, your mind, heart, and spirit can influence your gut and your gut can influence your mind. Through your feelings and emotions, you can make yourself constipated, give yourself loose stools, inhibit your stomach acid production, block nutrient absorption, and shut down the growth of your healthy gut bacteria. It's so refreshing to read that. And just your overall view of like, yeah, you know, you there'll be some food changes or they'll test for toxins, but you got to get your mental health, emotional, spiritual health in order if you want all this to work.
1: Absolutely.
0: If you can expand on that.
1: I'm always a person that wants to know why, so why why does that make sense? What's the connection? Um, and that's what I like to explain is that the connection is your vagus nerve. Right. The connection is your nervous system. And your gut tube, the tube that starts with the mouth and ends with the anus is surrounded by something called the enteric nervous system, which has more neurons than your brain does. So it's this massive nervous system that surrounds your gut. It is connected to your brain by one of your cranial nerves, which is called your vagus nerve. A lot of people have probably heard of it. Um, It is basically a highway that carries information from the brain to the gut and from the gut, from the brain to the gut and the gut to the brain. That vagus nerve runs on your autonomic nervous system, which is your automatic nervous system. It can either be in sympathetic or parasympathetic response. We're not, we don't think about it. We're not thinking like, okay, I'm going to be an autonomic or I'm going to be in um, sympathetic or I'm going to be in parasympathetic. It's just going on based on how we're feeling and what's going on around us. So sympathetic is fight or flight and parasympathetic is rest and digest. And, They're both equally important and they are the reason that we're around today because our bodies are incredible and through evolution, like we were able to survive when there was animals or something, danger, the energy when the sympathetic nervous system is activated, the energy goes to the brain and the muscles to survive. And then if we do survive and you're relaxed, eating, that's, you're now in parasympathetic response. You don't have to be eating, but let's just say you're relaxed, you're breathing, you're focused on the present moment, you activate parasympathetic. That sends all the energy to your gut, for your gut to function, right? So very important responses. The problem nowadays is that people are living in the sympathetic response 24-7. Now that I live in Montana, the analogy I use is you're running from a bear, right? You're hiking in the mountains. You see a bear. Sympathetic nervous system. We're living like that twenty four seven.
0: Yeah, I love behind you. By the way, people can't see, but there's a there's a bear. I don't know. I is that a big, huge stuffed bear holding your book? I think it's life yeah. size. <laughs> You've got that yeah. bear. I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a really we questioned our purchase when we got it when we moved here but it's he's been great
0: we're all in the state of being chased by a bear but we're really not and it's taking right, its toll exactly
1: so that that shuts down your stomach from making acid that shut that makes your gut lining more leaky that ter- leaky gut it shuts down your microbiome i can see how stressed out someone is based on their pattern of good bacteria on a stool culture um and once the gut goes wrong, and that, that's Hippocrates said it a few thousand years ago, all disease begins in the gut, then it's free game to present as rheumatoid arthritis or migraines or eczema. Um, so to me, for most of us, it starts as trauma when we're little. Um, and my definition of trauma is trauma is anything less than nurturing. Most people think of trauma as like violence and other significant things like that. It could be as simple as like your parents are busy working and they're not paying enough attention to you. That creates the signal of I'm not good enough and that shuts down the gut. Then you get some antibiotics, you eat some genetically modified soy or corn or hybridized gluten. That gets into your system, your immune system responds, and now you've got inflammation traveling around your body. Um, So, that's the why of why I I harp so much on mental, emotional, spiritual health. Um, because the rest of this stuff is easy, like treating the microbiome, testing for heavy metals, testing for mold, um, treating SIBO, that stuff is, is all pretty easy when the mental, emotional, spiritual part is just, and it's not even like, cause it, not having stress is not a realistic expectation. Right. And, and it's right. gotten worse for most of us over the last two years. Um, so, but it's how we deal with it and, and it's creating tools to manage it. Um, and just to me, it's, um, I'm personally in recovery from alcohol and, and step one is just accepting you're a problem, accepting you have a problem. And when I see my patients, accept like, okay, maybe what happened when I was a kid or maybe my relationship or whatever is contributing to this, everything changes. You you know, you don't that stuff doesn't go away, but you at least when you acknowledge it, you can deal with it. If you don't ever acknowledge it, you, you can't you're never gonna do anything about it. And then your gut will never heal.
0: That's what grabbed me so much in your book is when I was reading about trauma and it's interesting. This has come up in a couple of interviews in the last couple of months is the ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences. And, Mm. you know, my mother is a perfect example of somebody who had traumatic childhood, mentally ill mother who didn't stay on her medication and was in and out of institutions. It was very difficult. And she ended up when I, when she was around 40, she was head to toe covered in rashes. And this was in the 80s. So there wasn't, she didn't Mm. have a lot of options for people to see. And then she lost a tremendous amount of weight. I mean, she was like 85 pounds and 5'6", and everything she ate made her sick. And she tried all these, you know, as time went on, she tried different things and nothing really helped. And she didn't do any mental, emotional, spiritual work. And then in her 50s, she got ovarian cancer and she did every alternative natural thing you can do. I mean, her bed was covered in supplements. She was doing all the right foods and this and that and she died at 57. And, you know, I, I always wondered about, I wonder if she had done some emotional work, you know, if she would still be here and reading your book, it's oh, it's like a punch in the gut, like, God, mom, I wish you had had this information. But also, thank goodness, we're able to promote it now, you know, and that's a big part of why I got into healthy living in the first place and health ed and public health and this health media is because of my mother and seeing her her suffer. So I'm so glad that you're able to you know help other people
1: thank you um thank you for sharing that story for me i mean my parents are immigrants from poland and they 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 didn't have mental health issues they had like survival issues like they had no money and, and didn't speak the language um but and so they just worked all the time like i i was home alone from the age of like eight or seven i think um like learning how to cook and, and, and just get through. Cause my parents both were working just to pay the bills. Um, and when I, when I went into like recovery and I started going to therapists and stuff and they were telling me you have trauma, like I was so defensive. I was like, no, my parents like fought for me. My parents did everything they could for me. But the one thing we never talked about is mental, emotional, spiritual health in my house, like ever. It was just, you know, did you get a paycheck this week? Um, so, you know, I didn't start learning that stuff until I was like 27. Um, and, uh, and you wouldn't like to me, I wouldn't look at my life as having trauma, right? I don't, I mean, it was to me, it was like, you know, we were just surviving. And, and but my body interpreted it as trauma, and, and that's kind of all that matters. Um, and that's what makes it so difficult
0: yeah well, it you know it's interesting too, because I look at my own health, and people listen to the show they know that I've been diagnosed with leaky gut. I have a lot of food sensitivities, and you know, my mom started having knee problems when I was probably like one or two, and she had botched knee surgery and she had to have ice everywhere, so even before she had the autoimmune issues, she had p- chronic pain. so I had to take care of her as a child rather than her take care of me and so i'm I've done a ton of therapy. I mean, a ton and really looked at things. And I will say my view sensitivities aren't as bad as they used to be, but they're still there. Have you worked with people like that where they actually have done the mental, emotional work and then you're able to say, well, maybe you just, you know, this is the food test you should have taken or you didn't get your bowel test checked or what if you have heavy metals? And is that where that comes in?
1: Absolutely. Um, that That's the, that for me is like the easy part is, 99% of the time, I'm going to start with the gut. That, that's not true. That's probably less now. I, I do start with toxins much more frequently now. Um, but the majority of the time, we do start with the gut. We look at the microbiome. Um, if there's some symptoms of SIBO, we'll test for SIBO. We'll test for candida, test for low stomach acid, and just kind of step by step rule out what's happening. If we're, we get through that and there's some improvement, but then we get worse or there's just no improvement or there's just no issues there, uh, or there's a a heavy history of exposure to toxins. Um, or even if there's not, then, then I would go to toxins next. And when I talk about toxins, the most common ones that I work with are heavy metals, mold, and then like the environmental kind of stuff like organophosphates, phthalates, glyphosate, um all of this stuff. Um to me the symptoms can present the same. So I could take somebody with eczema and one person their underlying cause is the gut, the other person it's it's like a high level of lead. Um so that that's typically where yeah I would I would look um and then also cortisol testing just to check in on that. We do a lot of hormone testing with the thyroid and reproductive hormones um, so, yeah, it, it's very, very thorough approach. And, and most, I'd say 99 percent, maybe 100 percent of patients that I work with, I'm usually like the seventh or 10th option, not the first option. Most people that I, come to me now have already seen people in the alternative medicine world. Um, so most of my patients have tried a bunch of stuff and, and we're digging deeper.
0: Yeah, it's so important. That's what I love about the work that you do in your in your book, and that you do you dig it. Di- you do dig deeper. Can you tell us a little bit about SIBO for people who aren't familiar with that term and what it is?
1: Yeah, SIBO is the most common thing I treat, and it's not that talked about. So that there's the problem, right? Um, and so there's a whole chapter on it in my book because it's so common. But what people have heard of probiotics, people have heard of the microbiome those are the three to five pounds of bacteria that should be living in your large intestine. So your gut tube is made up of your mouth, esophagus, stomach, small intestine, large intestine, and then your pancreas, liver, and gallbladder are attached and and send hormones uh, into the gut and proteins. Um, So the main thing people are familiar with is like dysbiosis, right? Which is, An imbalanced microbiome when you have candida overgrowing, or you have a clostridia overgrowing, or you have parasites overgrowing your large intestine. That is one issue. What can happen most frequently due to stress, which causes low stomach acid, is the bacteria can migrate up from your large intestine and into your small intestine. And now they're living in a place that has been designed for digestion and absorption. And what the most the other most important thing to know about gut bacteria is that they're alive. They eat fibers and sugars to stay alive. And that's one of the ways in Western culture that we're destroying our microbiomes is, is we don't feed them. Um, you know, there, I have colleagues that recommend eating like 85 to 100 grams of fiber a day. The like U.S. Preventative Task Force, those organizations tell you to eat like 15 to 25 Most Americans eat less than that. Um, So our gut bacteria are alive. They eat those fibers and sugars. And when they don't eat, they die. Um, Or if they're living in the wrong place and they're eating, that creates really horrible inflammation. And that's what SIBO is. So SIBO is, is that the microbiome is living in your small intestine. Every time you eat those bacteria are eating, which creates just a really inflammatory situation. Most SIBO, people with SIBO have gut symptoms. They have bloating, they have constipation, diarrhea, all like the classic stuff that's been labeled as IBS usually. Uh, But I've worked with a number of people now over the years that they don't have any gut symptoms at all. Um, And they just have an autoimmune condition or they just have brain fog or... Uh, The craziest one I saw is a woman with canker sores that went away after treating SIBO. Um, And that was after like 50 years of having that. Oh, my gosh. Um, So that's like a brief synopsis of what SIBO is. And it's just it's extremely common um, because and I think the most important part around that is the stomach and stomach acid. And this is where we take a very polar opposite approach of regular medicine because if someone walked into their local pharmacy, there's an entire aisle of acid blocking drugs. And if you've ever gone to your traditional piece, like family practice doctor like me or your traditional gastroenterologist, they, the, basically the only tool in their tool belt is an acid blocker, right? And so you have any kind of gut symptoms, you're getting an acid blocker. We, we take a polar opposite approach. We, we test and treat people for low stomach acid. <clears throat> stomach acid is needed to digest protein. It's needed to get vitamins and minerals out of your food. Um, it's needed to activate your digestive enzymes. And it's needed to kill off bacteria. And we're being exposed to all these bacteria, viruses, all this stuff all the time. Those bacteria hate acid, So you need stomach acid to help prevent that. And so what happens is is that once digestion starts in the stomach, food and acid go into your small intestine. And part of what protects your small intestine from having an overgrowth of bacteria is that acid coming in. The number one cause of low stomach acid is aging, 80% of people over 80. I see it in teenagers and young people all the time, And that is the gut brain connection that when the mind is telling the gut it we're in survival mode. The last thing you want to be doing is secreting stomach acid to break down food, right? That's not going to help you survive. So that that's a huge. I mean, that's not the only reason, but that's a, a major one that I see missed even by like people that are known as SIBO experts. And, um, it, It's a huge part is to make sure that someone is digesting. There's a full outline in in my book about how to test and treat low stomach acid.
0: Oh, that's great. I was listening to an interview and you said that the three symptoms that toxins affect the most are reproductive, immune system, and the nervous system. If you can expand on those.
1: Toxins. um, I actually just finished writing a second book about hormones and toxins. So we're going to be publishing that in October.
0: That's fantastic. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Toxins. And so toxins are, can be endotoxins or they could be exotoxins. Endotoxins come from inside our body. Cortisol could be an endotoxin. Dysbiotic bacteria can be an endotoxin. Uh, SIBO can create endotoxins. But we also um, absorb toxins from our environment, from our air, from our water, from our food. And they are everywhere. And our environment is becoming more and more and more toxic every year. So since I just did the writing on this, um, the research is kind of fresh. And, I mean, my main question always goes back to why. And I've been in functional medicine pretty much strictly for 10 years, almost 7 years. Um, And I'm trying to remember, like, why I didn't learn about, like, toxins besides like acute toxicity in medical school and residency. And it in going back and doing the research, they, traditional medicine only accepts acute toxicity. And so that means that you know, like the kids in Flint, Michigan, where they changed their water supply that all of a sudden was full of lead and they had like acute neurologic symptoms, right? right. Regular medicine, same thing, like the whole glyphosate, um, battle that went on that the we finally won basically that they had to pay out 10 billion dollars that it did cause cancer they got through with that they protected glyphosate for so many years by saying glyphosate alone was not a problem well the whole problem was all the chemicals mixed together in roundup that created the problem so they put it out there for so many years using just studies on glyphosate alone But then the the scientists in the alternative medicine world were studying it as a combination, which is how it's being sprayed. And that's where the problem was the whole time. That's the same approach we take in functional medicine. We talk about total toxic body burden. So it's not just you have lead poisoning or you have mercury poisoning. It's you picked up a little bit of lead when you were born uh, through the placenta. Mom could have transferred it. Then your house flooded when you were a kid, and there was mold, and now you picked up a little bit mold. And you're eating the standard American diet, which is full of herbicides, pesticides, all that stuff. And then you're living close to an airport, and all that airplane exhaust is full of lead. And then you're eating fish that are absorbing all the toxins from the water. That eventually just keeps adding, 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 and then you throw in a stressful situation and all of a sudden the analogy that we, I I really like is your bucket right we're talking about filling your bucket with all this different stuff eventually that bucket overflows because I'll work with people that are like well if i was exposed when i was 20 why am i just getting sick at 45 and it you know it was like well some stressful stuff happened or your gut got bad and and that's that's kind of why it onsets now so We we really focus on total toxic body burden, and so if you went into your traditional medicine doctor, they would kind of laugh you out of the office. They they wouldn't it's it's they would do a blood test for lead, which would be an acute toxicity, which is extremely rare, Um, and they tell you you don't have like a heavy metal issue, right? So the the reason that there is such a problem and why toxins can affect like we you said the nervous the reproductive and the immune system, our bodies try to break those toxins down. When, we, when they get into our body, they, go, they flow through our liver. And our liver goes through this process called phase one and phase two, which is detox, which makes them, so toxins, when we absorb them, are fat soluble. So when we breathe them, drink them, they will get stored in our tissues. That's what detox is. Detox makes them water soluble. So we can then pee poop and sweat them out so that that process happens in the liver mostly and when we make them water soluble they are excreted if our body is overwhelmed if we're absorbing more toxins than we can get rid of and they're getting built up in our different tissues they create reactive oxygen species which is basically like inflammation, to keep things simple, right? They, they create inflammation. Inflammation kills our cells. That's what reactive oxygen species do. They kill our cells. So the favorite systems to attack are hormones, immune, and nervous systems. So if I have anybody with an autoimmune condition, with a neurologic condition, infertility, low testosterone, I'm going to be thinking about toxins and the 99% of people I work with have no clue that they were exposed. And, um, it's just, it's so prevalent in our environment. We're all being exposed. Not all of us are sick. Um, and, and that's what I think makes it difficult, but we all have different size of buckets, right? Some people have a very small bucket. Some people have a very large buckets, so they could handle a lot more of that. Um, So it is through an accumulation of these toxins over time that create these reactive oxygen species, which then go and attack basically like your immune cells, your hormones, um, your nervous system, and you end up with chronic conditions.
0: One of the things that's so frustrating, too, is you were just saying that, you know, it doesn't show up in everyone. So I heard you talk about this in an interview as well, that it's usually just one person who is sick in the house. There's a person like, there's four of us living here. And only that, but then there, there's not a problem. It's got to be something else. It's like, well, they obviously don't understand how the bucket works. And then to me, it just seems so clear. Like, well, what was their childhood like? And what exposure did they have? And what are they eating? And what's their stress level? And what's their emotional, mental health? But unfortunately, that's not the paradigm of our culture and speaking of paradigms i'd love for you to how did you shift from the allopathic to functional medicine and also i should have asked earlier for a definition of functional medicine
1: (laughs) I, i shifted because of my own story of uh recovery um so um i tried to stop drinking when i started residency and i quickly learned i had no idea how to deal with life um I had started drinking from like eighth grade on, not every day, obviously, but just like I was a binger on the weekends. Um, And especially the further you get in school, the the more it is, is like um, work hard, play hard. Um, And I really adapted to that. Um, So my basically whole young adult and adult life had alcohol in it. And so when I tried to stop, I I just didn't know how to deal with life. Um, So I went to treatment like an inpatient treatment during residency. I had to take a break. Um, and the whole treatment for my alcohol use was about underlying causes. Like we never actually talked about alcohol. We talked about what happened when I was young, what happened when I was in school, et cetera. Um, and they also did all these modalities. Like we did acupuncture and yoga and meditation, all this stuff that I thought was total BS. Um, I was extremely traditional minded. My, my parents are both doctors. I was all my friends are traditional doctors. I would have never, ever, ever, like believed you if you would have said I'd end up being a functional medicine doctor. So I went through this. It worked for me. And then when I got back to residency, um, as a resident, you're taught by different attendings every day or every week. You're getting an input from somebody different to kind of learn. And we had one doctor um, who started every hospitalized patient on vitamin D and a multivitamin. And we, as the interns, had to do the scut work, as you call it, which was basically writing the orders, making sure they got those things. And we thought it was a joke. like We would make fun of him and like, why are you making us do this? We could be writing meds and opiates and all this stuff. And so after I got back from treatment, I kind of, I was on call with him. It was like 2 AM on a Sunday night. And I was like, Dr. Batra, like, what are you doing? Why are you weird? Like, why do you make us do this? And he's like, I'm, I'm studying something called functional medicine. And he, we were at the computer and he opened up their website and he was like, it's all about underlying causes. Like, why are people sick? Um, and, I was like, having being fresh, what I just went through, I was like, that That sounds interesting. And I signed up for uh, the first like AFMCP, they call it the first course. So functional medicine is not taught in residency. It's not taught in medical school. It's basically taught, you teach, you spend a lot of money and a lot of time to learn a whole different way of thinking. So I went to the first conference just to check it out. And within the first hour, I knew that I like my career would never be the same. It was all taught from like biochemistry, anatomy, um, physiology, like all of it just made sense. Um, So, and at that first conference, I was the youngest person there and there was a few hundred doctors there and everybody I was meeting and they were from all different specialties and surgeons and, and OBs and all these people. And, I'm like, what do you, like, to me, it made a little more sense being family practice doctor to be there, but everybody, and these people were well, well advanced in their careers. And I was just like, why are you guys here? And they're like, this is the future of medicine. This is what you should focus on. Um, So I came back from the first conference and I was, and I told my parents and they looked at me like I was nuts. Um, and I told my residency program and my, my program director was amazing. I mean, he, he was like, whatever, if that's what you want to pursue, we'll support you however we can. Um, and they let me leave my residency program to go train with some of the experts in the field. And, and, uh, so total and random luck, I say, um, of how I found functional medicine. And that's kind of what functional medicine is. It's not like, Okay, you have headaches, so here's here's your pill options for what's going to make that feel better. Or you have indigestion; here's an acid blocker. It's you know why are you like why? And and that's what we dig into. And the difficult part of it can be is is you know I, I have people that are really sick and feeling really unwell, and and for me, I'm like, this is not going to happen overnight. So you're not going to see a functional medicine doctor and feel better the next day. It, it's a process. You didn't get there overnight and you're not going to get out of it overnight. It's a slow grind. Um, And but it works um, when people work it.
0: Right. It's so funny you said that because one of the quotes I took from your book was functional medicine works if you work it. And it's just so sad to me that there's this. Oh, my God, that functional medicine stuff. That's crazy. You know, to some allopathic or traditional doctors, because it just seems so obvious that it's not. Like, don't you want to know why the person's sick? Don't you want to know what's going on? And it just it's I don't know. I don't want to get to the whole theory about the drug companies and the dog, you know.
1: <laughs> I could go off. Uh, I think that's what it is. I mean, I
0: Yeah, let's be honest. I'll let you say it.
1: Yeah, I don't I mean, I don't mind saying it. I mean, medical this, the, I didn't realize it, but medical school and residency are basically taught by the pharmaceutical industry. Evidence-based medicine, what we're so obsessed with learning, of the time ends in a drug. And so, because I have so many patients that are like, why didn't my doctor talk about, you know, estrogen dominance? Or why didn't my doctor talk about low stomach acid? There's not medications for these things. And so it's just, we don't learn it. And the, you know, the SIBO is a good example. SIBO is starting to become a little mainstream. Why? There's an antibiotic called Zifaxan or Rifaximin is the other name for it that GI doctors have now been taught about, they still, a lot of them don't even learn about SIBO. They just learn about this. They learn about it as a drug for IBS. And they, people have been prescribed it and they're like, yeah, I started to feel better while I was on it. The doctor was like, I have no idea why, but it, it works. So use it. And so that's an example, like SIBO, a few years ago wasn't accepted at all. And now there's this antibiotic that's getting known and now all of a sudden regular medicine believes in it, you know? So it, it really comes down to meds and drugs, unfortunately in our healthcare system.
0: It does. And what's sad too, is the antibiotic is just doing more damage to your gut.
1: Rifaximin. I, I, it's actually an antibiotic that I will use sometime. It's, it's kind of amazing that uh, 90, 99% of and I, so I'm, you know, there's this spectrum of, of alternative medicine to traditional medicine, right? And a lot of people in my field are very much on the spectrum of alternative medicine only. That's the only option ever. I will never take a medication. Um, there's my traditionally trained friends that, that never open their minds that are like medications only, only, you know, that that's the only way. I find myself in the middle most of the time on most things. That I, I think there's a place, um, but the cool thing about that that antibiotic is it's not absorbed into your body. Ninety nine percent of antibiotics are designed, or meds are designed to be broken down and then go into the blood and go to your brain and treat an ear infection or whatever. Rifaximin's not absorbed, so it's it's actually on the safe scale. It's way. High at the safe safety range. Um, I worked with one GI doctor who, um, I mean, he was employed by the company, but he said that they had studies done that rifaximin doesn't even make it into your large intestine. So if that's really true, it's like literally like the perfect medicine. That also being said, when you're when you have SIBO, you could either be hydrogen positive or methane positive or both. Rifaximin does not work for people that are methane positive, the vast majority of the time, and I'd say something like seventy-five to ninety percent of my SIBO patients are methane positive. So that's that's a you know an example of kind of what we were talking about with the drug industry, but then also how sometimes traditional medicine can be okay. It's just finding, I think, a practitioner who has comfort in in both, and um, finding the best option for you. Every person's different. Like I, I have a different treatment plan for everybody.
0: Yeah. See, I think that's so interesting. You have to, or so important. Excuse me. You have to look at their individuality. You now, I want to get back into uh, mental, emotional, spiritual health. I mean, that is another thing you said in this interview was the core of health is mental, emotional, spiritual health. For people who are resistant, for people you work with, how do you urge them to really look deep within and and look at the pain? Because a lot of people are like, I've already experienced a trauma. I don't want to have to go through it again. But my philosophy is there's no way around it. You have to go through it. You have to deal with it in some way.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I do is testing. So if somebody's like, you know, no way, stress is not an issue for me, um, I will test their cortisol. Um, which is saliva testing. So you can follow someone's cortisol pattern throughout the day. Um, People come to me for their gut health. So I tell people, I'm like, listen, you can't run from me. I'm going to see it in your gut. I'm going to see the stress if it's there. Um, So testing is one way that I do it. I've recommended every patient I've ever met to get a therapist, um, to work with a therapist while they're working with me that's difficult because a therapist is not the solution to everything. A therapist can come really highly recommended, but they might not be a good fit for you. Right. So like my wife has been through like seven therapists in the last uh, year and a half while we've been moving around, trying to find someone um, that, that fits her. Um, So, but they help peel back the layers of the onion, as we say in like recovery is like, you know, we're digging, they help you figure out what was actually underlying. Cause for most people they are like, no, like for me even like, I was like, well, yeah, my parents worked a lot, but they weren't like mean to me and they like gave me everything they could. And therapists helped me figure out like, Hey, you were alone a lot. You didn't talk about your feelings. So that's a good one. Um, talking about it with friends, family, um, People that are, you know, in this that are accepting of this too, um, a yoga practice, a meditation practice, finding the right types of exercise that work for you. Um, it there's so many different things that work. There's twelve step groups um, like that for people with alcohol issues, like AA. Um, but there's also groups for people with that had um, parents who had alcohol issues or parents that were just not affectionate. There's groups like that. Um, so it starts with just admitting it and then kind of exploring different ways of dealing with it and finding the ways that work the best for you. I just had a patient, um, he's in his fifties and his wife, it looked like his wife kind of forced him into the visit, but he, um, was like, I have no stress. I have no stress. And his wife was kind of like, in the background, kind of like nodding her head. Um, he's like, I'm so laid back. Nothing bothers me. And we did his cortisol testing. And it was the highest I've ever seen.
0: Oh my gosh. Um,
1: so that to him, I think woke him up. He was like, okay. And they started talking about his mom and all this stuff. And, and I'm hopeful for him. Um, but that, that's like a, I've seen that so many times.
0: That's incredible. And for people who don't know what the cortisol test is, tell us about that or why cortisol is important and what, how it, it's indicative of your stress levels it's the hormone
1: that we release when we're stressed out so when you're stressed out you release cortisol so if you're releasing high levels of it that means there's some kind of stress uh another funny one that i've seen a couple times lately too is an experiment someone could take is go on vacation take like a nice vacation for a week or two and uh if you come back and you're like, man, I was feeling amazing while I was on vacation. To me, that's either you've got a toxin issue at home, which is very easy. We can test you for that. Or there's some serious stress going on that you let go of. Um, that's not uh, not an option for everybody, but um, that's one that I, I'll, I'll see so many times as somebody will email me after a visit or after a few months and be like, everything was great while I was on vacation. And it was like, that. this is kind of proving my point.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I'm curious about food sensitivity testing because I've been told it works. I've been told it doesn't work. I've been told it shows sort of the foods you eat the most that you're sensitive to. I mean, I took one and it showed I was sensitive to kale, spinach, paprika i'm like I, and it was weird because i was like realizing that i do use a lot of paprika i love paprika and there was certain products that i would buy that have paprika in them so i thought this seems kind of random though i mean it also had like um dairy and soy and wheat and you know yeah. like the usuals that i knew but i'm like this seems kind of odd how do you approach food sensitivity testing
1: elimination diet and that that's what we talk about in my book and there's 50 recipes in there to help people and explain the why of, of a, an elimination diet. Um, to me, food sensitivity testing, um, I guess the best way to describe how I feel about it is I've never ordered one of those in my entire career. I mean, there's a lot of people in my world that, that use it. I don't see it. I've just seen too many inconsistencies of where it comes back. As it definitely can point out some of the things you're sensitive to, but usually it just comes with a lot of extra um, that that doesn't make sense. Um, so honestly, leaky gut is something that's very difficult to test for too. There's not a great leaky gut test, in my opinion. Um, the best test is a food sensitivity test. So if you do one and you have a bunch of sensitivities come back positive, that to me just means you have a leaky gut.
0: Tell us about some of these recipes and what are some of your favorites?
1: Um, so the recipes... I have a patient who's been in remission from uh, rheumatoid arthritis for seven years now. Um, and she's a chef. So we had just, as she got better, we, we become friends over the years. And so when I was writing my book, I was like, I'd like to put recipes, but I love to cook. I just, I have no clue how to write recipes. Um, So I reached out to her first and I was like, Hey, would you be interested in writing recipes? And she did. Um, So she also wrote uh, her story of what it was like to come in to see me and how scared she was of changing her food. And then all the little like tips and tricks of, and a lot of it is like the basics, like how do you steam vegetables and, and just there's, there's obviously the better, the more complex recipes too, but for a lot of people it's the basics, um, of just how to make basic healthy food. Um, so she did a great job and, and, um, my, maybe my favorite is the breakfast salad club. Um, one of the things that I recommend is for people to eat nine to 12 servings of vegetables and fruit a day. It's very difficult. Um, like in, in an American diet, we eat pancakes and French toast and, uh, Oatmeal, or oatmeal is not a bad one, but um, bacon, breakfast burritos, lunch is pizza or hot dogs or macaroni and cheese, and then dinner has like a side of broccoli. So a lot of people are getting one serving of vegetables and fruit a day uh, when we should be getting nine to 12. So if you start, and it's a difference like a being like European versus American. Like in, in, I feel like in Europe, they use a lot more vegetables for breakfast. Um, so, it's more normal to eat vegetables. I feel like here it's not very normal. It's like kind of weird to have vegetables for breakfast. Well, if you don't, you're in like a really big deficit for the rest of the day. And then you're trying to get six servings uh, or four, four to six servings with the rest of your two meals. Um, so, that's a fun one to me.
0: I inter- do intermittent fasting. So, I don't eat until around 10 because I don't eat past six and then I don't eat again until around 10. I- I'll have a salad with something or I'll I'll saute up some vegetables or steam some vegetables with something. So I'm I'm used to eating vegetables in the morning and it's good. I I think it's a great way to start. What do you think about intermittent fasting?
1: I'm a fan. I was not a fan for a long time. Um, Most people that tried it were doing it for uh, weight loss and most people were doing 16 hours the whole point of intermittent fasting is gluconeogenesis, which is the process where your body starts using stored um, sugar and fat for energy. That process doesn't really get going till hour number 20. So um, I flipped to recommending people to do it for 24 to 36 hours, two to three times a week. And I've had a lot more success with that.
0: Oh, okay. um,
1: that's something that I've done. Um, and I, I do it for hormones, um, for testosterone, for growth hormone. Um, there's a hormone called brain-derived neurotrophic factor um, that they found the higher... It's called BDNF. The higher your BDNF, the lower uh, your risk of dementia. Um, oh. The best way to increase BDNF is fasting. So I, oh, okay. I like it. I just think that um, most people don't do it long enough. And, and that's... Just like everything in my field, there's a million different opinions. Um, I try to go with what makes sense to me based on science and experience with patients.
0: Now, is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you'd like to add?
1: Yeah, I feel like we've hit a lot of the major stuff. Um, No, I mean, I think you've asked great questions
0: thank you. Well, I'm just such a huge fan of the work that you do. Again, the book is Unfunk Your Gut, A Functional Medicine Guide. Boost your immune system, heal your gut, and unlock your mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Dr. Kozlowski, how do we find out all about you and your wonderful book?
1: Um, it's unfunk with a C um, the, for, it, for functional medicine, but sometimes people can't find it because of the spelling. But um, best way f- if people want to reach out to me, work with me is, uh, my website doc dash cause.com D O C dash Z.com. There's a link to buy my book there. There's, uh, our office phone number, email, so people can reach out and ask questions, um, schedule an appointment. And I'm on social media, uh, doc underscore cause. And I think Dr. Cause on Facebook. Um, and I've tried, I, was never on social media, but I've tried to become a little more active now that the, the book's out there. Um, so that, those are the, the best way if somebody really wants to work with us um, is check out the book and uh, check out the website and reach out.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. Thank you so much. You're always welcome here. Thank you. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. And we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donski and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.